welcome to Cinemakers, Amy Heckerling. This is episode 54, Vamps from 2012. I'm Cara Gallo-Riga. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski, and this once again reunites Amy Heckerling with Alicia Silverstone and Wallace Shawn. Oh, and so many people. Well, and Zach Orth again from the last movie we did, our Loser, whenever, two movies ago, Loser. Even Mary Lou Henner's back from way back, <laughs> from Johnny Dangerously. Looking like a babe at 60 years old. Holy moly, Mary Lou Henner looks great. But this movie is, if basically, it's somehow Alicia Silverstone is playing both Cher and the opposite of Cher. Because when it opens, I just feel like the voiceover is that same kind of, like, joyful optimism that Cher has. But also, if Cher was a vampire, it's it's a weird movie. I don't even know how to begin talking about this movie because it's weird and kind of wonderful. Kind of wonderful. And while I don't love it as much as Kara, I did really like it. Kara, now this is the third Amy Hackerling movie that you think might be your favorite movie of all time. <laughs> so let's begin there. Yeah. Okay. Well, so the official ranking... As it stands right now. Because I I know for sure that I love Clueless, right? Like, as I've said many times, Clueless, my favorite movie. It's the movie that I've seen more than any other movie. But then I was like, "Mm, but I'm getting older now. It's weird that a movie about all of these high schoolers would be my favorite movie at this point in my life. It's only weird if you make it weird. Sure. And then we saw, what was that one? Uh, Look Who's Talking. Thank you. So hasn't totally stuck in my mind the way that it should. But <laughs> when I saw that, I was like, oh my god, like, this is so good. What if this is my favorite movie? And then I read a whole book about Clueless and watched Clueless three more times, and I was like, oh no, this is definitely still my favorite movie. And then I saw this one, and now I'm like, oh no, what do I do? Is it possible to have two favorite movies by the same director. We could just say that your favorite movie is Alicia Silverstone's starring Amy Heckerling movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's something. But So I have it ranked as Clueless, Vamps, Look Who's Talking, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, I Can Never Be Your Woman, Look Who's Talking to, Johnny Dangerously, Loser, and European Vacation. But I don't know. I got to give it time. I got to watch Vamps about mm, 9,000 more times, and then I'll mm-hmm. be able to tell between Clueless and Vamps, you know, which one. But I loved this in, like, I this profoundly affected me in a way that none of the other movies have. Like, I sobbed through the entire third act both times I watched it, which I did in two days. So, I mean, that says a lot. Yeah, I didn't, but I can understand why this, because like, this is, as you're talking about, exactly your shit. Like, this is, in just about every way, all the things that you love about movies and pop culture and life and everything all wrapped into one weirdly wonderful bow that is beautifully adorned by Mona May once again. So good. And I can't imagine how how excited she must have been to literally have like 120 years of fashion to play with. Uh, I That was one of my favorite things about this movie. Just wonderful. 200 years worth of fashion to pick from. Oh yeah, I, I was I was doing the math wrong. Like 100, 170 years, 170 years since like 1841, right? Like when she was turned. Wow, 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 wow. I wish that there had been even more of that in there, but like that's fine. Make a TV show. Let's see the whole 170 years, whatever. Yeah, no, I loved it so much. Yeah, I I basically only had one problem with this movie, and that was the production value. Like if this just had more money, it would be just incredibly amazing. Like I really enjoyed this movie. I enjoyed that it's a vampire movie yeah. first of all i guess the, which I by the how... way this is for sure my new favorite vampire movie so what was your new what was your old favorite vampire movie mm, good question it depends i it depends on the context like if we're talking strictly dracula i do really love the coppola version because it's just so corny and wonderful other than that probably uh the original buffy movie that holds a very special place in my heart. Okay. I just searched on Letterboxd to see if I could find like a list of vampire movies to find my favorite. And if you just search vampire movies, the top list is vampire movies ranked by how hot the vampires are. So if that doesn't summarize what Letterboxd is in a single list, I don't know what does. Well, that's part of being a vampire, just being hot uh, in general. But what I love about this movie is just like its optimism. Like it's just, it's just got such a great perspective and something that I didn't think would fit well, to be quite honest, with a vampire film. Like now I'm convinced they're just like Westerns or superhero movies. And it's like, you could have all these different genres of vampire movie. You know, you could have the scary ones, the funny ones, the parodies, and they all work in their own way. But this one worked so much better than I was expecting. I think the girls have great chemistry. Yeah, they really do. And everybody else, like 
Dan Stevens showed up and I knew, I just knew at that point, like, this is it. Like, I'm going to love the rest of this movie. It doesn't matter. And and it does a lot of really interesting things story-wise and plot-wise. And I teared up toward the end there. It wasn't the whole third act, but definitely like the last 10 minutes or so, I was I was feeling the feels. And there's just a lot of great Amy Heckerling influences like scattered throughout here, just like clips of old films. You know, Cagney shows up. The ultimate dream sequence of Anshian Angelou is in this movie, you know, so that clicked with me. I was like, okay, that explains a lot. Uh, so just like through and through, I, I had a great time with this one. Yeah, I loved that there were so many of like the themes that we've kind of picked up on watching over the course of her. Like this to me feels like like a magnum opus of she's like incorporating all of these things that she's interested in, all of these things that she's used in her film. So I made a list. The first thing being long-term female friendship. She had an early screenplay that was rejected by all the men who read it because they said that women don't stay friends over a long period of time, which is not true. Then, of course, the theme of of age differences between romantic partners, or in this case, also between platonic friends, and just the overall theme of aging and all of the complicated things that come along with that pregnancy and like pregnancy now or never sort of situation Mm -hmm. her love of history and old hollywood we see a lot in this movie some jewish culture in there the fashion of course a lot of heavy cabaret influence on this as well which by the way side note i watched this weekend and i completely forgot that in cabaret there's this amazing scene where they do the slap dance that we see in European vacation. It's the same song. They're doing like the weird slapping thing, but it's intercut with this guy getting the shit beat out of him by Nazis. And it's it's incredible. I mean Bob Vossi, I mean was reminded a genius that just that side note. And Cabaret was in Loser, yes. right? They see it yeah. in Loser. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course, Art shows up in so many of her movies, and you've already mentioned that Boonwell Dolly film that they sit there and they watch in this class that they're in. Cell phones, technology, the like forward march of time, but like sometimes technology is good too. People's short, like historical memory. I loved getting to like see through. Alicia Silverstone, like seeing through her character, the history of New York, which is a fascinating thing just in and of itself. And interestingly, no cars in this one, no car crashes. I think that's like oh, yeah. the only thing that doesn't show up in this movie that we've seen over and over again in her other films. That's quite a list. This is like her thesis film at the moment, mm-hmm. I, I guess. Yeah. And her last movie so far, right? To date. Yeah. And so many of the cameos. I mean, a Taylor Negron cameo in this is... He's the same pizza man. He's the same from, pizza man. Yeah. From Fast Times. <laughs> what I loved about this pizza man is that it's set up to basically be the porn parody of the pizza man, except instead of luring him into the bedroom for sex, she's luring him to the bedroom to be eaten. Yeah. Which is just wonderful. It's her ability to like take what's expected in a way and twist it. Like you know that she's going to eat him, but then sets it up in a way that like, oh, I've seen this scene play out, if not in actual porn, but like in like movie mockeries of porn. Mm-hmm. And then to be able to blend those two worlds and those two different perceptions together is really remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, the her that eats the pizza man is none other than Sigourney Weaver. Who looks amazing in this. Yeah. That was great. When she showed up, I again, like, as scene by scene, people started showing up and I kept getting more and more invested in this movie. It was great. Yeah. Sigourney Weaver has my favorite line in this movie because she laughs as she says it. Like, it's such a dumb line. But when she uh, has that, like, Asian massacre, like the Chinese restaurant, and she says, you know, you know what it's like when you eat Chinese? You're hungry half an hour later. And as she says the corniest line that's ever been written and said over and over again, she laughs. And I feel like her character's not laughing. I feel like that's the actress laughing at how dumb the line is, but they keep it in the movie. I don't know how to actually read that scene, but it was just such a wonderfully... Like, we all know that this is a dumb thing that I'm saying, but we're, we're all laughing about it. You know what I mean? Like, it felt, whatever the intention was, whatever, however it was played out, uh, I really enjoyed that. And it, it just, it felt like a real honest moment. And an, again, sort of the subversion of, like, that thing that you've seen a bunch before. Like, I've always loved her work, but she's always seemed like the straight one to me mm-hmm. in a lot of the comedy, like Ghostbusters and stuff like that. Um, it, it wasn't really until Galaxy Quest where, she, like, she got to, I for me, got to see her really 
go big and like you know try and, and play like out of this world kind of stuff and so here it was that was cool too just to see her really ham it up and like everybody's really sort of swinging for the fences and and those performances are paying off too because it's that type of tone you know like i feel like that tone is established really early so when dan steven shows up and you know he's doing like all those like crazy faces and he's talking like in his original accent i'm assuming right because i know him mostly from from legion and from the guest to hear him do all these different things and be funny and all this like that it's great like it's working for everybody in this movie so i'm really really enjoying like the performances that are coming through here yeah you know my my one regret just before we get off the topic too far of sigourney weaver is we don't have enough of todd barry her assistant or her boy toy or whatever because todd barry is kind of the greatest and he's only in a couple scenes before he gets killed by wallace sean but uh, i just love todd barry when he showed up i was like oh okay and like basically like two scenes that he's in later uh, he's dead so more todd barry please but go ahead oh i was just gonna say that sigourney weaver in this it's kind of like when in ghostbusters she's possessed by zool but like out on the town you know like i feel like she got to like take that character for a real drive in this in this movie well i feel like everybody gets to uncork a little bit right because this is very clearly over the top what's a little hard for me to parse out and i feel like maybe it's not consistent or maybe it is and i'm just not picking up on the finery details is how much of the world knows that vampires exist does everybody know no i don't think so i think it's like oh vampires don't exist but then some people are like no you guys vampires definitely exist and they're like no they don't you know like that kind of thing okay and then when they see somebody bite someone they're like what the fuck like that woman who is like wallace sean's assistant who works for homeland security yeah she like drops in on their aa meeting and they can sense that she's not a real vampire and so Kristen ritter's character freaks her out and she just screams like what the fuck and she's saying what the fuck but she doesn't actually like articulate what she's saying it's just really funny the way that she delivers that line and she has been in a few other heckerling films including the heckerling produced night at the roxbury which i watched this weekend as well Mm. yeah there's a great moment with their friend who plays renfield they're hanging out at like what i thought was just the vampire bar but it's just a gay club i think right no it's just a club but they're having goth night so like that's when all the goths get dressed up and come out but they wouldn't normally be there on any other night gotcha okay but there's a, there's a moment that sort of solidified for me who knows how much about this other world going on is when their friend Renfield catches a moment of someone being a vampire, right? And he totally flips out and they have to glamour him to sort of like, you know, erase his mind and stuff. And I went and I was like, oh, I wonder how many times like they've had to do that, you know, like just to keep it a secret. It's like Men in Black style kind of. So that's what I went with. It's sort of like a Men in Black rules kind of universe. Yeah, But he definitely knows because he accompanies Richard Lewis to their meeting. He has a suspicion, yeah. And like helps them on the solar eclipse uh, get all the records erased. Yeah, I think they, throughout the movie, sort of acclimate him to their world. They need his help, and he becomes like the the actual Renfield from the Dracula novel, right? Where he's like the master's obeying assistant and will do anything for him. And so it was kind of a cool twist on that character. And I love how many things like that that they really pretty seamlessly like worked into the story of like having a Dr. Van Helsing and a Vlad Tepish. And a Joey Van Helsing. And a Joey Van Helsing, yeah. Yeah, Malcolm McDowell as Vlad. That was cool when he revealed who he actually was and she sees his photo, or not his photo, she sees his painting on the wall of Van Helsing. She's like, oh, I know him. And he's like, he's thinking like, she actually just like knows him and she's trying to cover up that she does just kind of casually know him. I was like, this is a cool, cute little moment working for me right here. Like, these are just the elements colliding and coming together in a really nice scene. Yeah. The color in this movie is really great, uh, especially when they are at the Van Helsing's house. They really probably like it's probably Dan Stevens' eyes because he has these like gorgeous blue eyes. Like everything in their home is blue. They're all dressed in blue, and even Kristen Ritter is wearing like a, a cute blue outfit with a blue headband in this scene when they're all together. And I just, you know, I like I like some good color. I guess I didn't really think about it until right now, but this movie is so bright. 
which is so unlike vampire movies because every, obviously all the vampire movies take place at night for obvious reasons, and so they're usually gothy and dark and shadowy, but here it's essentially like sitcom lighting, but for vampires. Yeah, and I really love that about it. Which is really, like, I, I don't know that there are any other vampire movies that look like this. I was looking at the list on Letterboxd. I found a more comprehensive, complete list of vampire movies, and, like, I was thinking of my favorites that we haven't talked about, like Let the Right One In or Only Lovers Left Alive, and there's a third one. I don't remember what the third one was. Like Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, and like, that's really out there. Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, and they're very all, they're all, like, atmospheric. Like, they're all, I think they're all really, really great movies, mm-hmm. but they all sort of follow the same kind of, like, established tonal palette of, like, either black and white or blue and black or, you know, just gray. And here, it's, like, pinks and yellows, and, like, everything is, like, saturated, and there's, like, the blue scene, like you are talking about, Kara, and, like, all the, like, their, their coffins are, like, bright, bright white on the inside, and it's just, they're colors you don't normally see in this kind of movie, which is obviously a distinct aesthetic choice to be like yeah we're telling that story but we're not we're basically using the like the opposite of all conventions that you're used to Mm -hmm. which i think is cool and interesting and and smart and funny yeah i think that's that's really smart and effective you know because like i mean it's just a great shorthand i think sitcom is a good way to kind of explain it just in the like the general situation of the plot and everything this would work really well as a sitcom i think but i think the color and the light and all that just really helped tonally just how lighthearted it all is and all of that like it all works together like you couldn't like this like a gothic vampire movie and tell it the way they want to tell it it just it would clash with the sensibilities so i'm really glad that they had good instincts on this one and they they didn't try and make it look like dracula i mean this is not a long thing to talk about but i'm sure carrie you have thoughts about kristen ritter's interview outfit from the 80s with the widest shoulders that i've ever seen on an outfit yeah i mean that that's just a hilarious outfit one of my first notes is that i would fall in love with kristen ritter too and like want to keep her as like you know like be her friend is the term stem something in vampire culture or is that something made up for this movie i don't think so at least not in any of the things that i've seen like sire is what they use on buffy okay i was actually not aware of that term either yeah really piqued my interest too it I was makes like, she's perfect a- sense right it makes perfect sense and i feel like she's seamlessly added something to vampire mythology mm-hmm. which is incredibly rare and hard to do in this day and age or it just seems like everything necessary has been done but like even if it is sort of a new term for something that's already there like a sire or something like that i feel like it works better like you know instantly what they mean and that's great. That's just great shorthand. Like, it's almost like how they're always trying to figure out, like, the shorthand of today where they put the LOL and yeah. the WTF and all that kind of thing. And it's like Amy Heckling has, has created a new word or a new trendy word to describe something in this movie. So that's cool. Yeah, it's just, it's all like a really good blend of existing genre conventions, turning other genre conventions on their head, and then also just making it up as she goes along, which is kind of awesome. I loved the incorporation of hometown dirt into like the vampire lore because that's something i think that comes from dracula that he needed like all of these boxes of dirt from transylvania that's a vampire thing you need to rest in the soil of your homeland so like even in things like salem's lot they're like why are they bringing boxes of dirt into that house and i thought that was a cute touch they just have it like sprinkled in their coffin you know and just as much as is necessary (laughs) but the terrorists ruined everything for everybody so they can't even get dirt shipped to them anymore so which another like theme in this movie that was incorporated like really kind of seamlessly and really brilliantly of just the kind of post 9-11 surveillance state and the patriot act and stuff that they integrated really well into the storyline well because i feel like they're i mean i i know that generally speaking like a lot of horror and especially a lot of like you know monster movies or creature movies they're using the race or whatever you want to call like whatever vampires are at the thing in question as a metaphor for race or a different sect of people like about how the x-men are just basically the outcasts like it could be like lgbtq or whatever like there's always there's a a long history of like fantasy and sci-fi using something fantastical as a metaphor for something real Right. right and i feel like they're using vampires in this somehow to both be about like it, it also it kind of comments on like racism and also like a, a few different things like in ways that like at, at times almost like approach feeling a little bit too heavy-handed never quite get there like it's not it's never i don't think the the, the center thrust or like the main point that she's making but i think that it's tastefully enough done or like subtly enough done that you get what she's talking about like when the van helsings meet 
Chris and Ray for the first time, they're talking about, this is sort of more overt, but like talking about how like they don't like her because she's too white or too pale. <laughs> and it becomes this thing about like racism, but it, but it becomes this thing about like hating the outsider because of the way that they look or the way that they seem, you know what I mean? So there's like things that it just, for a kind of a dumb, at times, comedy about vampires who love the 80s, there's so much more there. Yeah. Well, I love the potential like within horror and like horror adjacent genres for the true horror that is bureaucracy. You know what I mean? And they like integrate that so so well. Vlad Tepish says at one point like they they used to torture us and now they're using computers because the, like all the vampires are getting audited, they're getting uh, summons for jury duty, all of this stuff where as they were able to kind of like fly under the radar for so long, now that the world is becoming more digitized and all of these systems are are being put in place, it threatens their their community and their livelihood. I just found that fascinating. Yeah, I really I really liked how that kind of that was interwoven into here because it's like they have to navigate a world that isn't set up or accustomed to them, you know? And I mean, that to me sounds like, they, you know, they don't have to go far. It's just like it could be being a woman in the world, right? Like (laughs) being a vampire could be like that because the world is like primarily has been set up and structured by men for their rules and things like that. So, I mean, I don't know necessarily, but I just liked how it said, you know, yeah, we're, we're trying to show that there's, the world is not set up for everybody to live their lifestyle in, and it should be. And I'm just glad that it, it reached that point in the movie, that they were able to cover that, and it didn't, it didn't feel cheesy or anything. Like, it actually landed really well. And can kind of make that point by saying, like, how are these people supposed to do jury duty, like, when they can't be out at, out during the day? Like, it's, you know, even, like, little things like that, right? Like, make a point that, you know, be more respectful of other people's lifestyles i guess yeah i think it's also i mean like a little bit of like hecker lane's somewhat preoccupation with nazis because they use bureaucracy very effectively to carry out the the holocaust and like there are a few references to nazis and the holocaust in this up to and including at the end when christian ritter finds out that alicia silverstone isn't as young as she said she was and she kept explaining away how she knew all of these historical things that she had been watching the history channel and christian ritter's like i knew it every time i turned on the history channel it was always something about nazis well and also in the middle of the movie that when she finds out that she's interested in the guy named joey van helsing alicia silverstone says you didn't hit it off with timmy hitler like they're they're you know it's just like the I guess the vampire equivalent of Hitler is yeah. Van Helsing, and so it's a val- it's a valid question. Although, again, in that scene, not to take this off topic a little bit, but a blood spit take is the best spit take I think. Oh my god, I loved all the blood in this. I love any kind of spurting blood in movies. I don't know why. It just makes me laugh so hard. Yeah, there's a couple blood spit takes, but then also at one point, Alicia Silverstone stabs a rat and then squeezes the blood into her mouth. That was really good, too. Christian Ritter just, like, shoves a straw into one. Like a Capri Sun. Yeah. Like, I just liked it, like, how nonchalant it was for them to be doing that such great cover too as exterminators yeah what a nice touch like what a great job to think of for a vampire for a couple of vampires you know and that's just kind of easy street for them to get their chow every night (laughs) also i'm very jealous of their work uniforms do you have any idea how hard it is to find a nice fitting pair of coveralls for women it's impossible they don't make them so i'm i'm jealous that they got nice mona may custom coveralls but Kara, you also have to keep in mind that they're only good at modeling and light clerical work so of course they're going to look good in those coveralls <laughs> yeah i really loved how this movie approached that whole concept of we can't tell what we look like like there's a really sweet moment and i oh man like it really tugged at me and my heartstrings when alicia silverstone couldn't remember like she didn't have any photos of herself before she was a vampire and this is when they use sort of that fake photoshop tech that's in a lot of heckling movies but it's really interesting because it's used to shape and shift the features of women and stuff and so I almost felt like that was that is always have sort of been like a comment in and of itself how Mm -hmm. digital technology is altering body shape and everything but it, it's so it's such a tender moment when she finally sees what she looks like for the first time in like a hundred years i was like oh yeah like no mirrors like how would you know and their stem takes it to like you know the most ridiculous degree like she only created them to be her models that is their servitude like it's just so funny and 
fresh and weird and kooky and just quirky and whimsical and it all just it was working for me on on every level yeah i love the scene towards the beginning when alicia silverstone's trying to put on lipstick yeah and i mean it's a real kind of throwback to a scene in clueless where she is like very meticulously painting lipstick on her lips and i could watch her put on lipstick for eight hours and still be riveted but she like puts it on like all over her face and Kristen Ritter is like you still can't find your mouth without a mirror come on she made me laugh really hard that took me a second but then like once I realized what that was making a joke on I like couldn't stop laughing like that was one I mean I, I mentioned that my think one of my favorite lines might have been that's a Gordon Weaver thing but I think that might be my actual favorite line which is just like oh right like they can't see themselves in mirrors and like the fact like it's before like it's early enough in the movie I think that like they haven't really fully established vampire can Conventions yet, and so you're not. I wasn't like necessarily in that headspace, um, and I was also wondering, you know, like just sort of like gauging the world. And so when that comes out of kind of nowhere, I was just, I, I, I love it so much. Yeah, you know, Heckerling is like not really thought of at all as a like, sci-fi or speculative fiction director, but her world building in every single one of these movies has been incredible, like on par with any great science fiction director. I think. I mean, I would love love to see what she would do in the world of science fiction me too i so badly want to see that it was great just to see a flash of metropolis in here and a very a very important couple of frames as well it was like the robot lady is created that goes on to like control all the men in the nightclub and stuff so like you know she knows exactly what clips she's putting in here for certain reasons and yeah i'm Oh man, I'm so glad that we we're doing this because even though there were you know a couple dark days and movies like these, it's these moments here that make it like all worthwhile. Like discovering this movie, like that's so great. Like this is was like a a hidden gem. Yeah, I mean, I said in the last episode, like it's hard for me to imagine like a Heckerling direct written and directed movie about vampires starring you know Alicia Silverstone. Like how could I not love that? And it so far exceeded my expectations. Like yeah. I just, it really blew me away. And like, I cannot articulate why it affected me on such like a profound emotional level, but it did. And I'm so grateful for that. It was a joy. I think we also have to make sure that we point out in this episode that accountants, once again, coming back into the forefront of uh, several key scenes like I just like it's such a weird not like running joke but like through line that of course accountants can save the day over and over again in all of her movies like why wouldn't they be able to (laughs) I do agree but I also feel like in part like if my parents were like garbage men and I became a film a screenwriter like I would make them the heroes in at least one movie or something like that but it's great that you could do that yeah sure I I think I mean you you write what you know essentially right so I love that they say good morning to each other as they go to bed Mm -hmm. That's adorable. That birds instill this like sense of panic that they hear birds chirping and they're like, oh no, like that means the sun's coming up to the sprint home. I love that so much because it, it, it's such a non-threatening, harmless thing, like the tweeting of a bird in the morning. And yet to them, that's, you know, it's like nails on a chalkboard. It's like, oh my God, like that's like a five alarm going off in their heads. Like we got to get home. Kara, I'm sure that you read this or probably even heard of the movie, but uh, Richard Lewis's last name in this movie is Horowitz. Mm-hmm. So of course, a shout out there. To share, share Horowitz. Can we talk about Richard Lewis for a minute? Sure. He is so great in this. Just like, I was shocked. Like I was genuinely shocked that he could turn in such like a tender performance. Yeah. I knew him as a comic and, you know, like curb your enthusiasm he's on there recently so i know he's he's still acting and stuff but i didn't expect him to show up here he looks great in those digital flashback retouches and and stuff is that what that was i wasn't sure if that was like they cast somebody who kind of looked like him and like put on some weird facial prosthetics they don't have a great effects budget for this movie unfortunately but they do the best they can and uh, i admire what they try to go for hey that scene (laughs) where Alicia Silverstone sticks her nose up the, or, or sticks her oh my God. Tongue, tongue up that guy's nose. nose and then out the other side was great. Like if they blew their entire effects budget on that, it was a good choice. Well, I can say that they did not blow their entire effects budget as Kristen Ritter spider walks down Dan Stevens building because that is almost unforgivable CGI. Like that is, I mean, I know that the budget is not great, but like I was, who like when Mike's talking about, you know, production budget and everything like that is throw a couple more dollars there, please. The, uh, yeah, like the, the finale is pretty good when they chop off Sigourney Weaver's head, but then when she gets on the skeleton body, the only, the only reason I give it sort of any whatever is because it kind of done like the old Ray Harryhausen 
fighting skeletons mm-hmm. from from like the Sinbad movies and stuff. So like I was like maybe they're going for that. Oh, they're definitely going for that because that's immediately that's where my brain went. Yeah. So at least they they're trying to work within their limitations a little, but they're definitely very ambitious. <laughs> you know, they've got a lot of big ideas that they're trying to to pull off with those effects. The glamorize are good. Those are really good. Yeah. I guess we should talk about the like the sort of the the finale because we talk about, you know, them fighting Sigourney Weaver, but there so in in this world what a stem is, it's sort of like imagine like branches on like a family tree that whoever turns you into a vampire is your stem, uh, and if you kill if the stem dies, everyone that that stem kills ages to their proper age, right? So Kristen Ritter was turned like 20 years ago, so she goes from basically being 20 to 40, which means that her butt flattens out a little bit, she puts on a little bit of weight, and her eyes droop a tiny bit because she doesn't smoke, drink, do drugs, or bathe in the sun, so of course she's going to look great. Uh, Alicia Silverstone's still looking incredible as, what, like an 80 or 90-year-old woman or whatever she's supposed to be, even though she's probably 200? Mm-hmm. But they do that because Kristen Ritter gets pregnant from Dan Stevens, and they want her to have a normal life, and I'm sure this is why, Kara, you were sobbing and sobbing and sobbing, because she sacrifices herself. She gives up her life to let Kristen Ritter have not even like Kristen Ritter makes a joke at the end like I gave you the best years of my life I gave you infinity like Alicia Silverstone gives up her entire existence like infinity for Kristen Ritter to have like maybe 40 years yeah. like it's such an ultimate friendship sacrifice or sacrifice for a friend or whatever it's yeah I don't know I wasn't crying because of that because like she says like you know before you got here I was ready to like walk out into the sun and kill myself basically and then she's like I've had plenty of time like because immortality is actually a curse that's what they don't tell you up front is that then you're like alive forever and you're like oh my god I'm bored so I think she's like no I've had my run like it's fine so it wasn't so much that I don't know it was just like there were so many things like all it was all of it yeah I really started crying when she is looking through old pictures and she's seeing old pictures of this guy and then other guys and then Edgar Allan Poe <laughs> apparently they had a playing but then she picks up this like bifold little frame with two small paintings of her children that she had before she became a vampire and that was when I started crying and I just didn't stop so it was just like a like kept building and building but yeah I mean their friendship is really sweet they're so sweet to each other and they really respect each other even though they've been hanging out every day for the last 20 years you know like I can't imagine like I'm sure that they do because everybody fights but like I can't imagine they would fight because they just seem like sort of so aligned in everything they do like they're just you know best buds through and through yeah And it's also just great because, like, every profound relationship that we see on screen is some sort of romantic relationship. And it's just great to see because I have, like, I've had so many more deep connections with, like, my female friends than I have. Not necessarily anyone that I've dated, but, like, more profound friendships than whatever the other kind of relationship is you know what I mean so it's like it's nice to see that on screen and we don't get to see that very often because movies are so often written and made by men who think that women can't be friends because we'll just fight over some guy so like the same men who rejected that early script Mm -hmm. and in this movie it's two women friends helping each other score with different guys and stuff and and you know and I think in general like the female vampire mythos of the sort of like generally lesbian vampire like B movie that was very predominant in the 70s and 80s like that really stuck and so I'm really glad that they're platonic friends and that they can just have normal friendship and that they don't have to like make out in the same coffin together or anything I mean listen I would not be mad if there were lesbian vampires in this but it's fine it's great it's great the way it is the whole idea about reverting back to a human the idea that killing the master will turn you back I'm glad that they explore that this much in this movie the general thing is like oh you're a vampire that's it you're stuck uh there's no way back so it's cool to see someone turn human again at the end yeah or like 
if the master is killed, then all of the other vampires will die, but not necessarily accrue the years that they've lived, which is what happens in this movie. I thought it was also really interesting that they do seem to age at least a little bit because they're like putting embalming fluid on as like lotion. And then when Sigourney Weaver's head gets chopped off and she sees her ass for the first time in goodness knows however many hundred years, she's like, hey, when did my ass get that flat? And that's the thing that happens when you age. So it's interesting that they do at least age a little bit, which is not something that is very common in vampire lore. Just a lot of nice flourishes. It's just nice to see someone go in different directions and not just be like, oh, have to do it this way, have to, because it's a vampire thing, gotta stick to the rules. It's like, no, like, it's more fun. Like, it can be, like, great when you stray from the rules if you if you know them well enough. Like, that's the other thing. Like, I feel like she knows this stuff back and forward. She probably watched, like, every vampire movie and all that kind of thing, like, just growing up. And so you just get the sense that she knows how to twist and turn when she needs to and and when and where to do it and how hard yeah another great dance scene in this which was another thing that made me cry really hard i found that whole happy nights are here again scene very moving is that when alicia silverstone starts flapping yeah well there's another dance scene where they're in the club and she's trying to ape what the guy is doing like just looks like a maniac yeah that's a different dance scene, right? There's a couple dance scenes in this. Yeah. Her whole thing about trying to keep up on the latest trend mm-hmm. was great because it just, I feel like that nowadays as a 40-year-old. Yeah. Well, she has she has that like rant about technology towards the end that like ultimately she kind of like breaks down and says like, it's all happening too fast and I'm tired. And I was like, oh my goodness, I feel that on a very like deep, deep level because she's talking about how like, you know, especially in the last 10 to 15 years, like technology has progressed so quickly because somebody had just walked in with what they call an iPad mini, but what is clearly an iPhone for whatever. But, you know, just that it's all happening too fast and I'm tired. And it's just a really universal thing that like a fatigue that we all have with like the pace of technological advancement. Also, she wears a drop waist dress at one point, which was a style that was popularized in the 20s with the flappers, which basically means that like instead of the dress coming in up where your waist is, the waistline is like down towards your butt. They look weird. But she wears a dress and Kristen Ritter gives her a look and then she says, oh, don't start with me. Drop waists are coming back. I saw one on Kira Knightley. And then Kristen Ritter's like, yeah, she was like playing a part in a movie. Which... Kira Knightley, I think we joked, maybe me and Mike, maybe just in theaters, not when we're on recording a podcast, but like, Kira Knightley basically just exists within like 1920s period pieces. Like that just... Any period piece, really. She's done a lot of Regency era work. I feel like she's done some Victorian era sort of stuff. But yes. That was the great outfit where she's like, the top is from this decade. The the outfit you're talking about, Mike, is I think maybe my favorite outfit of hers because she's got the shirt from the one era and the skirt from the other era and the shoes from the other era and the hat from a different era and they all blend together perfectly Mm -hmm. even though Kristen Ritter is giving her shit for it. Ten out of ten would wear. Yes. Yeah. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe Kristen Ritter just gives her shit about her clothes like every time she gets dressed. Because she has terrible style. She doesn't have a mirror so she can't really figure it out. (laughs) Yeah. But I just love that it's an amalgam of like all the little trends that Mm -hmm. she picked up through the years that she liked that she connected with and stuff and so she's just like this walking piece of history (laughs) one very little moment but i'm sure carrie you picked up picked up on it because you've seen clueless nine thousand times is that in that scene we were talking about before when alicia silverstone was trying to remember what she looks like and she says i had a caricaturist draw me one day from the boardwalk and it's her playing tennis and all i could think about was clueless and that tennis scene where she's not actually playing tennis but they're on the tennis court so I thought that might be maybe a reference, probably a reference, but maybe not. Maybe just just a funny, you know, picture. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. How do you guys feel about the blackface scene? I mean, it's not really blackface, but... Well, so what I think was interesting and smart is that they're talking about Al Jolson, the scene before uh, she gets way too tan and then shows up essentially in blackface. Yeah. Like, I get why it was there, and I know that's sort of... Like, I feel like that's another one of the things that she's doing in a lot of movies, Amy Heckerling, is, like, kind of just throwing a lot of stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks and then not really dwelling on those kind of things, just continuing to move on, because, like, the next scene, she's not tan anymore. Yeah. Well, I found it really funny because I am also an extremely pale 
woman. And there's not a single one of us out there who hasn't had some incident with self-tanner that resulted in looking something like this. So that scene made me laugh really hard. And I was just kind of like, I don't know how I feel about this, but this is, I've been there. Yeah, I, I took it. I mean, the Al Jolson scene, like, definitely, I was like, wow, that's like, that's an edgy joke. All right. I'm glad you got that in there. Then... Well, because she's, she's making the point that, like, Sigourney Weaver says, like, you don't get it. You never saw him live. You don't understand what a dynamic performer he was. And his in his legacy, he's been kind of reduced to this caricature of blackface and everything that it stands for, right? Yeah. Then the other joke I just... I actually just took that as um, a self-tanning mm-hmm. joke. Like, the the blackface didn't really cross my mind during those moments. But what I thought was a great sort of reversal was when yeah van helsing was like she's mm-hmm. too pale to go out with my son like because that is you know definitely a play on the skin tone like you know i don't want you dating that person because of the color of their skin right because I, I think that's the only reason why like the, the the blackface stuck out to me as much as it did i mean especially aside from the fact that like she looks insane in that scene but because they had set up the parents as sort of being reverse racist yeah in a weird kind of way but is, is mrs van helsing a vampire like immortal too i don't think so she's just there for the ride she seems on team van helsing like she's like vampires are bad but we don't get enough of her to get any real sense of her it seems like she got over glamoured at dinner yeah and became like a space cadet and then we kind of lose her throughout the rest yeah. of the movie i feel but i loved wallace shaw as van helsing at first i didn't pick up on it i was like and then then it hit me like a brick obviously but like lots of things in this movie they're just so casually thrown out there for you to just sort of catch or not catch you know i feel like she's not really concerned if you were picking up on everything but if you are that's great because it's pretty it's more dense than you would expect yeah i don't think i have any more notes about this movie oh God, i have so many notes i'm sure you do what else do you want to talk about in terms of vamps let's see oh i love when Kristen ritter says remember we said we'd keep up with the times even though it's not as good as the 80s and she's talking about the 1980s but alicia silverstone's character is fond of the 1880s that made me laugh. I also love the joke, how many surrealists does it take to change a light bulb? A bicycle. Kristen Ritter's character has a picture of Henry Winkler inside her coffin. And Henry Winkler was just in the last movie. I could never be your woman. Yeah. I feel like that's the heart of all the movies that we've covered. Like, that's the one that, like, the name is going to elude me the most. Like, it's like a weird... It's too many words. <laughs> it's from a song lyric. Like, I think I was reading... It was from a song lyric from a song that was, like, cut from the movie or something, so... No, it's in the movie. Oh, it's in the movie. Okay. Yeah, I heard it. I also don't... I want to make sure, like, while you're looking through your notes, Kara, I want to make sure that people listening to this don't... I mean, not that, you know, what, what we've said about this movie would give any indication that it's not good, but I, I don't want to confuse, like, a short episode with a bad movie. I think that Mike and I have just found that it's much harder to talk about comedies than not comedies. Well, this was a great joke. Can Time Warner just burst into someone's home and kill them? Yeah, they're terrible. That was funny. R.I.P. Todd Barry. When she's in that, like, I don't know if it's a record store or a video store, she's, like, asking the guy, do you have any James Cagney posters? And he thinks uh, she's talking about James Cameron. And he knows Paul Newman as that salad dressing guy, and she just resignedly says, yeah... And she, he says, no, we don't have any of those posters. Oh, I love their, like, they exploit the total eclipse of the sun to go to the IRS and glamour everyone and take care of all the bureaucratic issues that they're having. Eclipses of the sun don't actually last long enough for you to do that, but I thought it was a fun thing to play around with. Yeah, like an hour, was it like an hour and a half or something, right? Like, and Yeah, and I just, I love that she relies on her almanac to know what time the sun rises and sets because we don't really pay attention to that kind of thing. I mean, we know that it's like winter and the sun is setting really early and it's painful, but we don't pay attention day to day of how that changes over time. And it's a really interesting way to mark the passage of time. So I appreciated that. I actually think about that. Maybe I'm weird, but I think about that a lot because it's roughly like a minute earlier or a minute later each day. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, I don't know the actual Farmer's Almanac science of it all, but roughly sort of that. And then, you know, so we're recording this very close to the 21st, so we're very close now to the shortest day of the year. And so the day will get about a minute longer each day for the next six months, which is very exciting because it gets dark really early now, which is kind of a bummer. The only thing keeping me afloat right now is the fact that soon it will be less dark earlier. (laughs) 
And I'm like such a creature of the night and I, even I can't handle this. I really liked how it was the Pharma's Almanac, the ultimate piece of low tech that didn't that end up like saving the day at some moment? Yeah. That was great. It's just like, look, it's not a computer, but it can do what it needs to do when the computer can't. <laughs> it's just a book. Mike, while, while Carol looks through her notes, you have anything else to say about vamps? So Dan Stevens was hilarious in this, just once again, I want to point out. Just because, I, I mean, I never watched Downton Abbey. Oh, he's wonderful on that, but he's not particularly funny. Yeah, I don't expect that show to be necessarily like a laugh riot, but I, I've heard it's great, and I, I'm willing to go check it out now. Like like I said earlier, I, I know mostly from Legion, that's like maybe my favorite TV show that's currently on. He's fantastic. I, I think everybody just like really gets a chance to shine through in this movie. I I think Amy Heckerling seems like the kind of director who listens to her actors and they really are in the same sort of headspace and everyone seems to be on board here for what they're trying to do. It's weird, like, I was going through this, watching it, I was like, man, this, this, I'm trying to, like, figure out what this tone is, what it means, how it feels to me, and it's not overtly surreal, but it comes across to me as surreal to a degree. Just the idea of how a lot of this stuff is just feels like it's being taken for granted, like, oh, yeah, we're vampires, oh, yeah, this is how we live, this is how we have to, like, sort of exist and how we do things different and stuff, and it really just gave it, like a edge to it that I liked where it didn't it's not full on you know Buñuel or anything like that Salvador Dali to that degree but you know just the fact that they are vampires living two single vampires living in New York trying to do their thing but they're vampires like gives it a nice extra dimension to it I just really enjoyed this way more than I was expecting to. It's just great to see what she's doing in 2012, you know? Like, it feels modern. It feels like she's got her pulse on 2012 and, like, the you know, this decade and everything. So I I just wish that she had more movies to review. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. After this, I want to see more. Yeah, I think part of the reason I was crying so hard was that, like, oh, no, there's no more movies to watch. Like, I want to watch more movies. But speaking of single vampires in New York, I love the line that they said that they know that they, like, can't eat people. But also, I know it would be so much more satisfying than this get dressed up, go out and have sex routine, yeah. which made me laugh so hard. What also reminds me of another thing that I really liked about this movie is that when she and Dan Stevens are first checking each other out, uh, he's basically like looking down her shirt and she's admiring the uh, pulsing vein in his neck. <laughs> yeah. So just it also kind of reminds me of, you know, we talked about it on the Look Who's Talking episode where they're sort of admiring that airport, not like stewardess, not like just like the secretary or whatever, that private airport and they're both admiring her boobs and Travolta's like, you see what, you're look- you see what I'm looking at? And he's like, yeah, lunch. So just uh, always a different perception of why people find certain things appealing i guess or sexy or whatever yeah we also get a another cameo from mark ratner from fast times at ridgemont high oh he's the guy that sigourney weaver kills at the end yeah at grant's tomb right sitting outside the dentist yeah at the end when they become humans again alicia silverstone asks for one of those pretzel things and i was like if you think that pretzel is good it's too bad that there was not a halal cart nearby because there's so much better New York street food than those shitty pretzels. Or nuts for nuts. Right. I mean, if you haven't eaten anything in 200 years, I don't know. Maybe it's good to start bland. And she dies eventually, and she turns into ash, which, like, floats through Times Square and over New York and settles on a statue of the guy who wrote Give My Regards to Broadway, which then starts playing, which made me cry even harder because that is a song that we would often perform at the end of like my theater camp shows because it's like a goodbye song and then I saw in the credits that it's her daughter singing that version of it and I cried even harder you know what I just found out today that has nothing to do with this movie but in terms of mother daughter did you know that Zoe Dutch one of my mega crushes is the daughter of Leah Thompson I don't know who that is really she married Howard Dutch or however he I guess maybe it's Deutsch I have no idea so Leah Thompson directed a movie that came out this year that starred Zoe Dutch and Zoe Dutch's sister so like and like Leah Thompson's in it too like so it's like it's the year of spectacular men I think but I was like what like not only like because I mean Leah Thompson obviously very famous from Back to the Future and I just saw Leah Thompson in uh, Who We Are Now Left Behind (laughs) she plays Cage's ex-wife I mean you know 
Got to mention that. Ex-wife or wife? Uh, in the movie, or, oh yeah, wife that yeah. he's cheating on. So. With Nikki Whelan. But no, like, because I was just like, oh wow. Like, I just, I never know when, you know, mother-daughter, because we talked about very early in this run, didn't we, Kyra, about Amy Hackerling's daughter and her sort of growing up? But I say, is, she's been in a couple of her movies, right? She was in this one, actually. She and her band are the band that are playing at Goth Night. Oh, The Lost, The Last Something? The, the Lost Patrol. The Lost Patrol. And also in the very, very opening of this movie where Alicia Silverstone is like catching us up from basically 1840 to today or whatever. And one of the most important things, like one of like the 10 or 12 things she says is that like Kristen Ritter taught her about Napster and also this great band called Green Day. And I was like, that's such a weird like specific call out. But there was a Green Day call out in the last movie, too. She must like Green Day. You just reminded me that in that opening sequence and we're like flipping through like a scrapbook kind of thing there are some like old-timey pictures and in one of the old-timey pictures i saw taylor negron and maybe amy heckerling it was either her or her daughter but it was somebody who looks very much like her that hit me too they must have been close friends you know i love the jump scare that he gets uh when they discover his severed head and he's like making that ridiculous face it's wonderful this movie is wonderful. That's the shot they use at the end with his name over the on the credits when they each have that. I like that too. I love when movies they, they do, not nearly enough movies do that anymore. But when like comedies used to end with sort of a roll call and you would just see like a little bit of an outtake and have the name of the actor under it. One last thing, I love that they call people who aren't vampires day players. That's definitely like kind of new addition to the vampire lexicon. I think. That's a good one. Yes. Well, do you think that we did it? Do you think that we can close the film chapter of this Amy Hackerling book and come back next week for Red Oaks? Hopefully it's not a goodbye. It's a see you later. Hopefully she'll make more movies and then we'll have to reconvene and watch them and talk about them. Well, we might have a special bonus episode of sorts after Red Oaks, potentially, potentially. So we will let you know that maybe at the end of the Red Oaks episode, which we're going to record in a little while. But email cinemakers at cageclub.me. Let us know what you think of Amy Hackling's movies. What are your favorites, least favorites? Just say hi. We don't know what director we're doing next. I think we're going to take a little bit of a break from cinemakers as we get the ball rolling on the Tom Tom Club. But if you have a, if you really have some weird desire for us to cover a certain director, go to patreon.com slash cageclub and pay us some money and just control what we watch so you have the power if you want the power to control who we talk about i'm nervous about the possibilities and the, and the opportunities that we have afforded you if you want to give us a crazy amount of money go to cageclub.me facebook.com slash cageclub at cageclubpod on twitter and instagram email cinemakers at cageclub.me patreon.com slash cageclub we will be doing something next we've got one or two episodes left of this amy heckerling run then we'll do a at some point a standalone one-off episode and then be back for some director who knows when who knows who uh but come check out the tom tom club which is now started this episode comes out january 14th which means the first episode of both hanks and cruise are both out so go check out two movies that you have probably never heard of before and probably will never watch but i don't know at least at least the cruise one you probably never watch but yeah uh tom tom hanks for the memories and cruise club go check those out on cageclub.me and check out wistful thinking and what am i chewing also on cageclub.me and also all of our other i want to say 24 shows now or more who knows what the future holds go for it i'm joey lewandowski i'm mike manzi and i'm cara gail and we'll see you in a week for red oaks right here on 